Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hi, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today we have a very special guest, uh, John Toomey. John is the owner of ProPT in Lake Havasu City in Arizona. Welcome to the podcast here, John. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, big honor. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the honor is mine. Honor and a privilege, Sean. Um, I know we've known each other for quite a few years and you've shared your story on stage at our events a, a few times. Uh, but for everybody that's listening, how'd you get started in physical therapy? Uh, well, this is a little bit of a history lesson. So, uh, I, uh, originally was uh, going to school, going to junior college and, uh, studying to be an architect and cause I like to draw and draft and I thought that's all you had to do. And so taking classes and I, I got a job at a, a gym at, at that time, Nautilus gyms were kind of like valleys and all that. They were just starting up and becoming hot. And, uh, the more I did the work at the gym, the more I liked it. So, you know, of course you're doing more hours, more hours there and realizing that I put less and less time into my studies and, uh, kind of one day realized that, uh, if I'm not really working on studying um, the thing I'm supposed to have a profession in, uh, probably not a bright future. The other thing I realized is that with architecture, a lot of engineering and attention to detail. And uh, I also kind of realized it's like, well, I just like the drawing part. I don't really want to calculate like how much rebar needs to go in and concrete. So there's a few signals that said maybe architecture wasn't going to be my, my future. But, uh, but the gym, you know, I, I like that environment really liked working with people. And uh, so I was fortunate. I had a friend of mine and she, uh, we were talking about it and uh, she said, Dave, you know, uh, Cal State Northridge, they have a physical therapy program. You ever thought about something like that? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I've heard of it. I had some therapy done. And uh, so I went down there and talked to the school and, and they were really good. They said, you know, before you uh, get involved, because at that time, so this was, um, I mean, this was in the 1980s BC. So this is before computers kind of, you know, in the dark ages. And uh, they said, you really want to try to do some volunteer work, make sure this is something that you like to do. And uh, so I finally found a hospital that would let me come in and volunteer. And uh, I shadowed with, uh, started working with a, a tech named Willie, crazy guy. But it, the second or third time I worked there, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. No concept of what the barriers were to getting in. No concepts about any of it. It was just like, this is what I'm going to do. And um, uh, at that time, schools were impacted. Uh, but again, I think it was a good lesson now that uh, so focused on it that uh, just the concepts of like, you know, you had to have a certain GPA. There was like 200 applicants for 22 spots. Um, and uh, I was blessed to get one of those 22 spots. But again, I think it was that... Uh, uh, I forget what you, uh, unconscious optimism, I guess, is, you know, you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, right. Um, I just didn't know that there was any other answer other than I was going to PT school and, and that was it. That's what I got. So you, you were in California at the time. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, so as soon as I graduated, uh, moved down to San Diego and, uh, we started practicing down there. Uh, and so that time, uh, again, in early, the early nineties. So, uh, registries, which is like kind of temp services, local, like a 
registries were hiring therapists and of course paying more than the hospital was that I was working at kind of similar to now with travel companies. And, uh, so started doing that and, uh, work in different places and kind of putting two and two together. It's like, Hey, how are they doing this? How are they paying and contracting? And I kind of learned how to do the contracting part. Uh, so then I started contracting myself out to, to different PT practices, um, did that for a few years and then uh, uh, took a kind of a contract, but then a, like a partnership um, in a PT practice, um, kind of a sweat equity kind of a situation where, you know, it was based on how the practice did. I would get an equity share. And that's, what, what year uh, was that? That would have been around, uh, started with them in about 91, uh, 92. Okay. And uh, so we were, um, at that time, uh, it was pretty much all physician driven and insurance driven. So, uh, if that's, that's who controlled the, that, that's how you got patients. Um, concepts of direct access, all of that stuff really wasn't, wasn't there yet. And, uh, so, uh, you know, we worked there, we actually opened a second office. And then this concept of, uh, seeing that, you know what, if, if we could get multiple practices together to form like an IPA, an independent practice association or network, a local network, maybe we could capture more contracts because I, my understanding at the time was just like whoever controlled the contract, controlled the patients. And that's how you got your volume. So uh, that's what we did. We ended up, we had 10 offices for a while working with us and uh, it, it was a uh, challenging times. Cause I'll be honest, wasn't quite sure. I knew what, needed to be done just didn't know how to do it and uh and it, it worked out for a time but uh eventually i, I moved on to lake havasu yeah so w in your sweat equity deal you had equity in the practice and the 10 offices or you had like a, a profit sharing um it was mostly just equity in the one office that i i was working with a partner with she her specialty was medical management she was pretty sharp with that and she would provide management services for different doctor's offices, different medical facilities. She'd either su supply the staff or um, a lot of times the billing and things. So uh, my part was more sweat than it was equity at that time. But uh, I learned a lot. I mean, really did uh, kind of show me how to do it from the ground up. And uh, and then, yeah, so that's that kind of gave me the taste for how to do private practice or how to get it going. So. Yeah. Oh. So it sounds like you had a lot of barriers there. You got, you then moved to Arizona. What year did you move to Arizona? Uh, actually, uh, 1997, we moved to, uh, to Lake Havasu City. I, uh, San Diego was great, but uh, it was growing. It was getting crowded and, and kind of looking for like a little bit of a change of pace, quality of life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. my, my parents were already out here, retired. Uh, my dad had had some minor health issues and uh, was having difficulty getting care in, in Lake Havasu. So I was able to connect him with providers that I was familiar with already in, in San Diego. So he'd come out and get treatment and things. And I kind of realized at that point, I mean, they were both in good health, but someday uh, they're going to need help. So that was one of the pieces. The other piece was just looking for a different uh, change of life and, and some other opportunities. And uh, so that's what brought us out here to, to Lake Havasu. So uh, a little sleepy community at that time. Great. And uh, it's today, it's primarily a retirement community. Pretty much, it, it's changing. The demographics changing, but yeah. Uh, when I when we came here, it was pretty much sixty percent, seventy percent retirees. You know, thirty percent um, people that lived here, large snowbird population, that kind of thing. And uh, 
it seemed to fit in. You know, it, it was good. We, uh, I took a job just at a local hospital. Uh, didn't really care what the job was. You know, I remember meeting with the director and she's like, well, I don't know if I have a position for what you've done. And I said, I, I just need a job. I mean, I don't care if I'm in acute care, I'll push a broom. I just, you know, uh, I just needed a job and that was it. And uh, so I started working upstairs in acute care, which actually I didn't mind. Uh, got to know all the doctors that way. Just kind of a same thing, kind of uh, just lucky. And uh, within a few years, I mean, at that time, Havasu was kind of a, a bubble or maybe it was a part of the uh, the country where managed care hadn't really rolled through. Uh, for-profit systems hadn't rolled through. So it's kind of go, like going back to Mayberry, you know, our FD and plenty of staffing. The hospital was good. We had a good time. And then uh, when for-profits came in, they were purchased by a for-profit. Uh, you could start to see the tide change. And because I, you know, California had already seen a lot of that, kind of already knew what the next steps were. And so uh, uh, I realized that uh, going out on my own was what I wanted to do because, you know, I say, if you, if you run your own business, you're the first guy to know it's not going good, not the last guy. And so, uh, and also I had good relationships with both the doctors in town by then and the for-profit when they came in kind of alienated a lot of that community uh, connection. And so it was just uh, the timing was right. And I just decided that's what I was going to do. So. Yeah. And what, what year was that? Um, that would have been 2001. We opened uh, uh, April, actually, I ran. This isn't really a great thing, but we opened on uh, Friday the 13th of uh, April 13th, Friday the 13th of 2001. Uh, my plan was to actually open the following Monday, but I had set up a luncheon with uh, a couple of orthos that I knew earlier in the week. It's just say, you know, hey, I'm opening and you, know, you talked about maybe helping me get started and blah, blah, blah. And they're no luck. they said, oh, no problem. We're, we'll support you. So Wednesday night, Thursday morning, the fax machine starts going like crazy. And I'm thinking, I'm not waiting until Monday. So I'm, you know, at four o'clock on Friday morning, I'm like screwing chairs together and, you know, getting tables done. And uh, so our first day was uh, Friday the 13th, uh, uh, 2001. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Kind of, kind of crazy. Story. Yeah. So I know um, in preparation for this, it, it, you and I have talked a lot about what what has changed over the last 20 plus years. Um, and you just mentioned about how you saw the changes, you experienced the changes in California, you moved to Arizona, you had a little bit of a bubble, and then 10 years later, the same thing catches up. Um, can you talk about um, how private practice has changed for you over the last 20 years or so, John? Well, it, um, you know, I think the, uh, there's been a, a lot of changes in terms of, um, you know, like I say, when I first started, uh, pretty much doctors and insurances dictated, you know, your patient flow, uh, direct access wasn't, um, you know, really something that was available, autonomy and practice, specialization, a lot of those things. And um, the other thing was that, uh, you know, in looking at trends uh, back then, patients were a lot more. Um, just dependent directly on the doctor. So, you know, if the doctor said, you know, put on two red socks and, and stand outside, well, the patient just did that because there was no other resource. And so the doctor said, you only go to my therapy or you only do this or you, you need these things. That's what they did. And, you know, I think the big changes I've seen through the 20 years is that our patients are becoming a lot more sophisticated. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of it too is that 
good or bad, thanks to Dr. Google, they can research a lot of times their condition. I think that opens their eyes to a lot of opportunities and realizing that maybe uh, that the some of the traditional things that there's other options out there. So if a doctor's just saying, well, you need a spine stimulator no matter what, patients look and realize, hey, there's other things I can do and try. So patients have evolved. They're, um, they seem to be taking a lot more uh, uh, responsibility for their own care. Um, and then here, it's interesting as we've seen a big change uh, because, again, we're still like a 55%. I think my patient population is still 55% retired. Um, but they're a significantly more active population. So they're uh, they're not looking to slow down. They're figuring out how do I keep going? You know, so they're they're out, they're doing, they're hiking, they're, they're pickleball, they're everything active. And so their focus now is really on taking care of themselves without avoiding a lot of the, the things that are pushed, the, the surgeries and injections and medications, all of those things. So um, I've seen our patients evolve a lot, to change a lot. Yeah, that's uh, pretty, pretty good awareness. I, I know I can remember patients saying a few things when I came out, uh, which was right around the time of when you made them. But um, the one of them was my doctor told me to do this whatever it was, whatever intervention they were talking about. Um, another thought that I heard a comment that I heard a lot was, uh, well, my insurance will pay for it like that. It was, that it, it didn't really matter whatever it was. It was just like this, there's this magic money tree that we're all paying for now. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the other one is like you said, Dr. Google, I mean, patients come in now with printouts and, well, I looked at this and I looked at this and tell me what this says. And what do you think about this research? And, um, that, that was not happening 20 or so years ago. No. Um, yeah, great pickup there. What about, um, I know you had mentioned changes in hiring in California and we're all wrestling with that today. What, what trends have you seen with regards to hiring other clinicians or employment or anything like that? It's, it's ironic is that, you know, uh, and I, you know, it, well, two things. One is that, um, I know in private practice, it's hard because you feel like I can't hire anybody. And, I, and what I see is that, um, you're not, we're not alone. The doctor offices can't hire, hospitals can't hire, home health can't hire. Um, we're now getting patients coming in from, uh, you know, the snowbirds. So they're coming in and they're, they're saying, well, there was a four or five week wait, um, uh, back home. So I just went ahead and scheduled to come on in here. So we're not alone, uh, but those changes. Uh, so back in the '90s, uh, you know, in California, HMOs, managed care, all that stuff really swept through, and there was a big push beforehand that OPT was going to be a vital part. Well, to be honest, I think back then it was a cost center, and so it, HMOs and things pretty much limited, very, you know, really limited how much access people were going to have to PT. And so you went from a situation when I got out of school where I'm, for the first four or five years, I just called. It's like if I called in for an opening, it's like you got a pulse and a license. We'll take you, you know. And I didn't really have to interview for a job. And then uh, when managed care really kind of started to sweep through and kind of restrict access to care in a lot of ways, suddenly a lot of PTs were um, not able to take the premium job an outpatient or take a premium job here or there. They were kind of either finding what they could do or they were getting out of the the, uh, the industry. So then later on, as that eased up, it seemed like there was a bit of a shortage. 
And it kind of like, if you look at COVID, that's what I think is, you know, we've seen that too, is a lot of therapists that when the clinics are shut down and restricted, a lot of people moved on. And so there's a shortage from that. So I think it's that time where we've got to be more creative again with our hiring. Obviously, reimbursement pays into that, you know, plays into that because uh, you can only pay what you got in your pocket, you know, and hopefully keep a little bit in there to for a rainy day. But uh, I think, too, we have to understand that that we're not the only ones that are struggling with that. So then how do you be more creative? And uh, so for us, um, we've had to rebuild. I mean, 2021, I lost three staff members to home health and then cut my staff in half. Took the, it's taken this long to build it back up. We just hit seven FTEs. So we're finally back on uh, track and we're still going to keep hiring. But uh, it's creativity and also understanding, like reaching out within the network. So like for us, I was fortunate. A lot of my staff, they knew of uh, classmates that weren't happy with where they were and some of the more uh, industrial or, uh, you know, uh, system, system kind of situations, hospitals and home health and things. So we're able to recruit from there. Um, I think one thing, and maybe it's my bias, but I think as a PT practice, you got to remember is that you're offering something that, uh, that these places can't offer. Um, and that is the, the individuality, you're, whatever you're doing, whatever your specialty, whatever your clinic is, you offer a lot more flexibility. You offer a lot more individuality. And um, that's something that, that doesn't, it just doesn't work within, um, traditional settings, whether it's a corporate setting or a hospital setting or things like that. And it's not that there's anything wrong with those. It's just that there's not much room for, um, you know, anybody outside of the the norm, you know, the kind of march down the road and that's that. So, you know, as we're hiring and we're looking and, and, you know, trying to really put forward what you have to offer, but more importantly, understanding that this, it's an opportunity. When I got out of school, people would take pay cuts to go work in an outpatient clinic. Because that's where stuff was happening. Everything was new. Uh, the manual techniques, all of that stuff was coming out and a lot of new things. And, and kind of the same now. I mean, we're, we're pushing more into uh, cash-based practices. You're seeing cash-based services. You're seeing a lot more autonomy in terms of what you can and can't do and how you want to do it and design and things like that. So I, I think sometimes we forget and we've got to kind of frame ourselves as, hey, there's here's an opportunity we have at our clinic. not will you come work here? So maybe that's a mindset. I'm not sure how to, how to say that, but um, so that's one part of it. And then the other part is like for us, um, we, uh, we found that our PT assistants, uh, so we use a combination of PTs and PT assistants. I, I know your clinics do similar. Uh, our assistants will carry their own schedule, but they are paired like with a PT, a lot of times based on uh, patient characteristics. So if it's a patient that's more exercise-based, they may go with uh, Mariah or they may go with Bridget. Um, if they're more, you know, maybe they need more soft tissue and some more hands-on and they'll go with one of the other assistants that that's their strength. So, uh, but we found that the assistants really help us a lot in terms of um, skill set uh, because really they can become a very, very strong part of your clinic. Um, and so that uh, doesn't solve all of it, but I think it does help because they do help you accommodate for the patients you have coming in, especially if you can, you have good communication in the clinic. And, and we do, we, every week, everybody gets together. We discuss patients. It's part of our, our, our weekly meeting, but those PTAs can become a vital part of your practice and actually um, 
just as um, you know, patients come back and they'll ask for the assistant. They don't ask for me, but they ask for the assistant. Well, that's okay. You know, um, they like the assistant better. But uh, but uh, that. So I think that's one thing is is not getting stuck on only hiring PTs. But hey, you know, it's a team. So could, you know, maybe having some assistants come in can help you a lot there. Um, there's other ways to look at it. Uh, you know, we could talk a little bit about like direct trying to direct contract. Uh, yeah, I, I have a question on the, uh-huh. the, so before you move on to direct contract, yeah. um, you talked about, you mentioned a few times getting creative with hiring then also flexibility and individuality. I think I know, like I have a pretty good picture of what you mean by that. Is there anything specific where you've had somebody, uh, and I'll, I'll give an example. We had uh, two therapists who came in, interviewed, they chose to work in another setting they went off and worked in that other setting that paid more and then ended up coming back. So they they boomeranged a little bit. And then they gave a few very specific things about what they were looking for in our setting. That was different. One was no ceiling. So we, you know, we can not only help them develop their clinical skill, but also their responsibilities in becoming a team leader, ultimately a director, and then possibly even um, an owner as well. So can you talk about how you apply that? how you meet that need of creativity, flexibility, and individuality at ProPT? So for us, um, same thing is that we'll look at, because uh, everybody's different. So uh, example, uh, one of our therapists, her her strength and her strong suit is neuro. Uh, neuro. So Parkinson's, uh, MS, things like that are, are the areas that she really loves. That's what she loves to do. So when she first came in and we interviewed, uh, we talked about that. It was going to be a good fit with our clinic, but more importantly, it's like, okay, then I, I know how to promote that. I know how to get that going. And if that's something you love to do, then that's something we can start to develop for you and get a program going for you. So uh, that was one of the things. Uh, a lot of times we'll look at it with terms of benefits. So, you know, uh, you know, there are things you can do with uh, some student, you know, some student loan assistance, you know, that you can help them with a little bit. Uh, looking at that, looking at their other benefits, their healthcare benefits. So I had another therapist where they needed, uh, they had a family. So it's like, okay, well, if I can cover more of your healthcare benefit, kind of offset that better than uh, maybe your salary, you know, that was the thing that they needed. So it was trying to find out um, what they need. So uh, actually, I just had a, a yearly review with one of my therapists and um, her desire was just to have a little more PTO off. And, and a flexibility in her schedule. She likes to work three early days and two average days. It's like, okay. But she also is taking on some clinical responsibilities with that. So we're trying to actually, because now we're up to we're up to seven full-time clinicians, we're looking at having to flex t- start times because otherwise uh, what we find is that, you know, if, if seven clinicians worth of patients come walking in the door at the same time, it's like everybody trying to get on the highway at the same time. It's a little crowded. So we're in a transition. But uh, so it's, it's finding out what they need and, uh, and then answering that. And it, and then actually I can, so I made a big mistake a couple of years ago with regards to this. So one of my therapists, great guy, um, and, uh, came in and he said, you know, I, I, uh, he'd been with me for three years. We're starting to take on some leadership, uh, skills and responsibilities. So look, I, I, I just got this offer from a nursing home, uh, that I can't, uh, I really can't pass up. And so my, and 
sure nobody else has done this but me but my first thought was well holy crap they must be paying them like 70 an hour and plus they're because i thought that they were offering them all of the benefits and everything i offered them and a huge salary on top didn't bother to ask the question you know so what are they I, that was my mistake so for anybody else don't ever just say okay that really sucks for me go it's like okay what is it so out the door he went because i i said i can't match all of that again under the beliefs that they were offering them all the stuff i had offered him which was all of his health care assistance with um, loan repayment things like that so he went uh and he worked there i think a couple of weeks and it turned out that the contract changed to another company so all of the stuff that they had promised suddenly was gone uh and so he uh really kind of got he got kind of um, the short end of the stick on that so he went to home health for a while and uh and then gradually started to come back same thing kind of a boomerang came back started helping us out picking up more hours picking up more hours and then finally felt comfortable enough he let go of the nursing home thing because he didn't really like it um and then he's on with us uh, three-quarter time a little bit with home health but it, the irony in sitting back down and talking to him was that the amount that they were paying him was exactly the same net amount that i was or gross amount so if you added his benefits uh the pto all of the stuff made it an hourly rate that's what it was that he was getting it's just that he wasn't getting any of the other things and he had to pay tax on it so you know that was a lesson for me where it's like you really got to be more inquisitive and ask the questions when somebody's like hey you know finding out what's their want and and so for him you know i i think i missed the boat on that i mean it's worked out now i mean he's back he's, he's a great therapist he's doing great for us but uh that was one lesson is to to not just make the assumptions that, you know, you can't compete with somebody just based on what you think is going to happen. So yeah, le lesson learned there. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I had a crazy story, John, where an employee who accepted a position elsewhere in the resignation letter gave me the written offer of the future, and I and we did apples to apples, and I sat down, okay. and I said, well, like you're not really getting this benefit, this benefit, this benefit, and one of them was health insurance. And, uh, and when we compared it out and her contention, she said, this is a lot more money. And when we did it, it was, uh, within like 0 0.1%, 0 0.2%, <laughs> it was, it was almost the same yeah. exact compensation. <laughs> I said, well, like, if you want to give up these other benefits for more pay, you, you can certainly do that. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a pretty wild story but it com yeah we have to learn that lesson at least once i think all of us have to go through that yeah the the uh, the other um thing that i wanted to ask you about because i remember uh you mentioning the snowbird season and i know that when we met what, what was that 2016 2017 yeah yeah right there in there yeah. that you were looking for consistency and that you had you know a, a, a slower season of the year um can you talk about that and i you also mentioned you know, relying on physician referrals, which is the exact environment that I grew up in. And we, you know, we had to wean our way out of that. So can you talk about like what you've learned, how you've solved that problem and how you have consistency in your clinics right now with new patient flow? Because I know that's a big barrier for a lot of owners. Okay. Well, a lot of it had to do with, um, I mean, uh, I think uh, the kind of the joke was I had stalked you for a little bit way back in 15, 16, because you had you know, uh, little clips on about doing this or that with a workshop. And, uh, 
I, and I was doing some presentations, but really missing the boat on the thing, overcomplicated, not asking for the, you know, um, no call to action, all of that. And uh, so whatever I could glean from what your advertising was, I'm like, all right. So I, I told Stevie, that was my marketing girl. I'm like, give me a spot at the senior center. I'm just going to do one of these workshop things and see how this goes. So she goes and she sets it up. And, and the time, unfortunately, she gets is from 11 to 12 at the senior center. Well, they serve lunch at 12. And lunch is like, now maybe it's up to $3.50. But it's lunch every day for $3.50. And if you're late, they may not have it. So um, I go in that day and where they sent me, and it's going to be hard to describe, but I am, so the, the whole seating area is kind of to the right of me. And the kitchen is to the left and I'm right in the center. So, and I'm presenting to these people and half of them are playing cards and they're reading the paper and there's a few paying attention, but you're, you're in the way is what you're saying. Basically. So, yeah. yeah, So the last, I do my little, you know, I do my workshop and, uh, and I finally get done or actually as I'm wrapping it up, I see a guy out of the corner of my eye and he has taken his index finger and he is tapping on his, his, uh, watch. And uh, I look at him and then I look over to the left and here's all the ladies lined up with the lunch trays. And I'm like Moses in the Red Sea. And I parted between the food and the customers. <laughs> so, uh, but I will say that when I walked out of there, I think I had like six people signed up for a screening. So I figured, well, if doing it wrong got me this, that's that's what got me started. So uh, that's what got us started with doing the, the workshops and working with Breakthrough. And uh, really through the years, uh, it's it's changed our whole uh, presence in the community, I guess is the easiest way to do it. So, you know, the workshops, of course, have, have always worked. They're always consistent. Uh, but what we found over time more and more is that people started to see us as a uh, kind of as a resource. So, you know, like patients would come in for screening and they're like, oh, you're the workshop guy and this and that. And, uh, but what we what we're known for now is we do the workshops uh, we offer free screenings always to you know anybody um and so now patients really see us more of as a resource so we'll have patients that call up or potential patients um and they'll say look you know uh, i've got a problem going on with my back and my neighbor said i need to call you guys first and so you know we we'll still bring them in we'll do the screenings and it really our goal is to find out what do they need you know, so do they need some formal therapy? Fine. Maybe it's just a home exercise program. Maybe, I mean, I, every once in a while I've had somebody where it's like, uh, we need to get you referred to an ortho. I need to get you referred to a, to a neurologist, but really trying to make sure that we get them where they, they need to go. And so now, uh, within the community, we're, we're pretty much seen as, as the source. People come, come to us if they have questions, um, uh, not just through the workshops, but just, uh, you know, they'll just come on in or they'll call up. Say, look, can I, can I set up some time with the therapist just to, you know, and and that's really not, I wouldn't say, I, it's not what I, I don't know how to say this. So I would have never thought that that's what we could be. But now that we are, I really love it, uh, you know, with that part, because um, medicine's changing. And so I like to think that we're at least a good, stable resource where our only interest is. How do we get them where they need to be? Whether it's through us, whether it's maybe seeing a specialist, uh, maybe you know whatever that is. But at least we're trying to do that, and, and I think that's something that's that's kind of getting lost a little bit within healthcare in general. So, um, 
Great. Yeah, it sounds like um, you made a big switch in terms of learning how to present the right way, you know, have a reputation for it. You're now the go-to resource in your community for a lot of people, which is amazing. Um, also the the goal, right? So you, yeah. you put it into action, you implemented. Um, well done there. Can you talk a bit about, like, if you go back to 2015, 2016, what, like between your peak season and the slow season, what was the variance in, uh, like percentage wise, how much of a, a drop would you go to in the snowbird oh, season? Um, easily 30%, you know, okay. 30, 35%. So we might see a high of a thousand patients in uh, January, February, March, April, but then it could drop all the way down to 600 or 500 in uh, like, especially like July, August, September, yeah. because at, at that time it's hot. Uh, doctors are all taken off with their families, so they're not in the office. And, and so it's, it was tough to manage keeping your staff, you know, for the high season during the low season. And yeah. now, or even quickly within that, you know, within a year or so with, with breakthrough, uh, it, a lot more consistent. Now we don't really have a slow season. It's just constant through, um, uh, because, uh, again, that one, I think there's a lot more people are full time in town, but more importantly is that, uh, we're not relying on the doctors. We're actually pretty much always just self referral is what we're looking for. So we don't really have a slow season anymore. Um, so, so the switch from physician referral to direct to consumer got you enough of a change that you're because you weren't relying on the doctors who were out of town anyhow. Yeah. Some of them. Um, got it. Okay. Well, that's great. So, like, yeah. So one example, so with COVID, um, because we have developed a, we had enough of a backlog at that point. So for us, COVID really didn't hit until about March of 2020. We had a, enough of a backlog or so much of a backlog of trying to get new patients in that even as people called and said, look, I don't want to come into therapy now. I'm not going to come into therapy. It carried us through almost to the first of May, um, middle of May. Uh, and then it's, we had to slow down, but by July of that year, I think it started to open up, not perfect, but it opened up again. But again, because there was that um, kind of a wait list or, um, you know, we had enough of a desire or draw for us that, that kind of helped carry us through. Um, and there was a lot of, a couple of clinics in town that just once, uh, once they started saying, you know, stay home, they just, they shut down. So. Great. Well, um, not great that you shut down. But great that you were able. That you had a waiting list. That yeah. You had enough demand yeah. for your services. Yeah, no, um, we didn't. We didn't have to shut down. It was, it was another clinic, that did, but not us. We yeah. stayed open. So, well, you, you covered a lot of ground here, John. Um, what's the best way for uh, for our listeners to find you online? I know you listen. You offered your website here. Is that the best place for them to learn more about you and your practice? Yeah, yeah through one. Yeah, OneProTherapy dot uh, uh, com. Yeah, and so then, it's the number one. Yeah, number one, and then P R O T H E R I P Y. Yep. Uh, at uh, dot com, or um, you can call the office. It's on there um, with that. Or uh, I think um, when is boot camp? Because I think they're planning on coming to boot camp. So. We are February eighth through tenth. Okay. Yeah, I think that's my that's what I have marked off. So great. That's another way that just come to boot camp, and then we can hang out and talk. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, that is in Orlando. We can. Uh, post a link for that as well with uh, with your website here. Um, so final question, um, what's the most 
and you, you had some key life changes that you shared. By the way, I, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. Um, I almost became an engineer as well. I, I had done like the AutoCAD route, and uh, mm-hmm. but it was like AutoCAD 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> and then uh, I liked working with people much more and decided I didn't want to be at a computer uh, for the rest of my life. But um, yeah, pretty cool. Glad you shared yeah. that. What what was the most uh what's the most influential book that changed the course of your life um at any point? Can be fiction, nonfiction. Is there anything that influenced um, you? The ironically, right now I'm just finishing um uh Grant Cardone's uh 10X. Yeah. And uh that's kinda uh it's been a good kick in the pants, I think, to a certain extent, because um you know, through the years you do certain things and you're like, okay, yeah, you know, it becomes not mundane, but I think you start to, you start to take your foot off the gas. So, uh, the, that just finishing that up actually just got to the last chapter. There's quite a bit I want to re listen to because I do a lot of audiobook. I drive an hour each way now. And, uh, that one I think has really kind of sparked it again because it basically it's that whole concept of, not just oversubscribe, but just that, you know what, it's, it's, it's all out a hundred percent, uh, responsible for your own actions and making sure, you know, and, uh, I think that's, that's kind of how I guess I've always operated. It just like, kind of needed a little reminder that that's what works the best. So right now I'd say that was my good book. Grant Cardone 10 X. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, so have you ever read a uh, Jim quick limitless? Uh, is that good? Okay. Uh, I, it's the most recent one that I read. I, I just bought a case of them. I'll, uh, I'll bring one to, to Orlando for you. Okay, cool. Very awesome. Cool. Well, John, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, yeah, oneprotherapy.com. John Toomey. Thanks, man. This was great. I appreciate it, Chad. Thank you. So um, we have a direct-to-consumer marketing course. By the way, this is a free training uh, for everybody. So uh, we, again, I'm passionate about private practice PT. I'm a private practice physical therapist. This is what we've been doing for 10 years is um, education, but you can go to uh, getbreakthrough.com forward slash Cal dash bundle. This is six modules, uh, approximately six hours of training, um, creating growth targets for your practice. Uh, We built our practice around 45 to 64 year old family oriented females, primarily with orthopedic conditions. Maybe you're teaching or you're, you're primarily treating uh, scholastic athletes. You have a different demographic. We're going to talk through um, how to create targets there. Uh, Session two is the practice growth pro forma, and that's really creating uh, profitability plan, financial projection. Uh, we talk through market message media match, which was one is the of the core principles in order for you to get your marketing to work. Anytime I'm working with an owner directly who's having trouble marketing, or frankly, any private practice owner or small business owner, that we always go to this. They're likely there's something that's not aligned with market message media match. Session four is the three levels of conversion. Um, and because once you get somebody to respond to an ad, right, raise their hand and say, Yes, I have that. Now you actually have to go through the conversion part, right? It's it's another thing to take an ad responder and get them over to a paying patient, teach you the basics of how to do that, the principles that you should be paying attention to. Then we're going to talk about metrics and trends, like how you can track and make sense of your marketing data so you, that you make more smarter decisions moving forward and uh, minimize your mistakes. 
Session six is techniques and tactics for expansion and growth. So how to grow, right? Fill space, fill schedules, which we talked about here. And then um, what do you do next, right? You can add on additional space. You can hire clinicians. You can open additional offices, whatever that looks like for you, or just perhaps focus on profitability in the space you're already in. In addition to that, we can help you walk you through individually. Everybody's practice is different, but you're going to get a, a an opportunity for a strategy call as well. This is great. Um, our directors have worked th through this with literally hundreds of practice owners. Um, this is really our wheelhouse of what we've done, but dramatically increase the probability of success with the marketing calendar. So this is our effort to help you do that. So for those of you that are ready, if you're the type of owner that likes to take action, likes to get this done, like to have it in place, so you have that consistent new uh, inflow of patients, we're also offering um, a marketing strategy call here to help you get this done step-by-step. Step. Again, you're going to click through on that uh, getbreakthrough.com forward slash Cal dash bundle for the free training. Um, yeah. And this is for, so if you're thinking something along the lines of my practice is different, is this really for me? This is for uh, private practices, whether you're physical therapy only, whether you're uh integrated with, um, you know, you have uh, OT speech, et cetera, across the board. Um, this is for small practices, large practices. This is for uh, whether you accept insurance or your cash pay, concierge service, whatever that might be. Um, if you're thinking about opening a second clinic or your 200th clinic, great. Um, again, or if you're just starting out, um, this is for private practice owners across the board. So go to the link, click yes, reserve my free training, choose a time to schedule your free marketing strategy call, get the free course. Again, over six hours of content there for you to go through and help you implement this and grow here in 2024. It's the getbreakthrough.com forward slash Cal dash bundle. Um, also, you're able to get in and before the, the schedule fills up there, get your uh, marketing strategy call where Caleb or Jeff are going to be able to walk you through um, filling out that marketing calendar for your practice. Hopefully you enjoy this and uh, you continue to grow here in 2024. Thanks everybody.